BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, we explore why it still feels hard to say you don't want children or feel conflicted about motherhood, as writer Amina Kane shares in her LA Times op-ed titled, I'm Hungry for More Stories on the Ambivalence of Motherhood. Then, a bill seeking to cover every Californian with state-financed health insurance has died in the state legislature for the second time in five years. We'll look at what happened to the bill and the future for single-payer in California. That's all next on Forum. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Nina Kim. In a recent op-ed for the Los Angeles Times, Amina Kane writes, It's rare to see a film or read a novel that depicts ambivalence around motherhood, even rarer one that rejects that life completely. So it was when Kane saw the new film The Lost Daughter about a woman who describes herself as an unnatural mother that Kane realized just how hungry she was for these kinds of stories. And Amina Kane joins us now. Welcome to Forum. Hi, Mina. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to have you. And so just to give our listeners some background, the film The Lost Daughter is about a literature professor who had two children and still felt deeply conflicted about motherhood. It gets considerably darker, of course, but that isn't the part of it necessarily that you were drawn to. I am curious what the feelings were that came up for you as you watched the film. Um. I felt honestly very energized watching it and, and kind of relieved. And not because I'm energized by the idea of a woman who regrets having children or abandons them, you know, some, some of the, those darker angles, you know, as you already brought up, but because it's a narrative so rarely seen in films and in novels, it's not completely absent, of course. There's a new novel by Claire Bay Watkins called I Love You But I've Chosen Darkness, um, which I've just started reading that kind of um, goes into that territory. 
And uh, in the piece I wrote, I reference the novel Motherhood by Sheila Hetty, in which the narrator kind of thinks through the entire book, whether or not she should have a child. Hmm. Um, so, you know, there are others, but to me, it, it still feels like fairly unexplored territory or that more exploration is needed. Um, so, so that's kind of where my, you know, why it felt energizing to me. and relieving. Yeah. Why do you think it's still rare to find these kinds of stories? Oh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, it's a huge question. I think um, one that uh, I don't know if I could hope to answer completely or, or definitively, but um, I think there really is really is a taboo around um, not just maybe not wanting to have children, but, but even talking about it, you know, that that's something I, I write in the piece and um, it's, I think that what's not expressed will maybe remain taboo forever. You know, that the only way to, to break a taboo is to go against it, to, to indeed talk about, you know, that kind of ambivalence or to write a book about it or to make a film about it. Um, yeah. I think that any pact of silence, even if it's not an explicit one, kind of holds in place what's deemed acceptable or, or unacceptable in, in society. Yes, you've talked about how motherhood is still often what you've called, quote, the default position, especially what we see depicted for us. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So it's not always that everything, you know, that we read or watch is kind of glorifying motherhood. I mean, I think sometimes it does, but it's just that in a way it's it's what we always see. And so we kind of get used to it as, you know, as being um, the norm and, and society kind of tells us, you know, that it's the norm. And, and so it, you know, it just, I think for many people, it, it becomes difficult to, um, to feel that they can live in a different way or that they can, or that they can say things maybe that they haven't been able to say, you know, or, or admit to things. Yeah. In your case, you've chosen to be child-free. And one of the experiences you've focused on that you just alluded to is what it's like when your friends have told you that they're having kids, can you talk about the experiences, the emotions that you have when they tell you this news? Yes, yes. And it's not, you know, it's not as if um, every time a friend tells me they're going to have a baby, I have this sort of like instant extreme shock or anything like that. But um, there, there is that element, you know, that, that, that if I don't know a friend has been trying to conceive and if, if I've talked about it with them, then, you know, it's not a shock of course, but, um, but just this, this sense of surprise, which, you know, I've never completely understood because having children is a, you know, quote, natural thing to do. Lots of people do it. Um, it's been happening throughout time. So it's not something that maybe should be shocking. Um, but to me, it's felt that way, you know, and it, it might be partly that many of my friends who've had children um, had them in their late 30s or maybe even their early 40s, you know, so that we've been friends for quite a long time, you know, before children come into the picture. And so that might, you know, that might have something to do, something to do with the surprise. Yeah. Um, so first it's surprise. And then what happens? Um, 
sometimes I also feel a sense of abandonment um, initially. It's, it is something that dissipates. It's, it's not something that kind of stays with me. I don't feel abandoned, you know, for all time um, by my friends who've had children, but there, there are these kind of initial, these initial feelings that come up for me. I think because I am afraid of, of distance that might happen, that might grow between us. And again, it's not, I haven't felt distant from every friend who's had a child. Um, and if there's been distance, it of course changes, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't stay the same. Um, but th there's just that fear, yeah. you know, yeah. I want to invite our listeners to join the conversation. So curious if what Amina Kane is raising resonates with you. Give us a call at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. If you'd like to share your experiences, um, you can also post them on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, and you can email us, forum at kqbd.org. You mentioned Sheila Hetty earlier and, uh, I think it's it's Sheila Hetty who has this depiction of the change that can happen in, in friendships, feeling like you're initially on an ice flow together, but then it breaks apart. Can you talk about why that spoke to you, that particular depiction? Sure. I mean, you know, as I say in the piece, it was really the first time I'd heard anyone um, express that. And it's it's something that I've I've felt myself, you know obviously. And so um, to read it, you know, that of course felt, felt very relieving to know that I wasn't alone in this feeling. And um, it, it's uh, someone um, after I published my piece, someone said to me that uh, he thought that it, it's that this feeling might not be due just to someone having a child, but to the way that society is kind of set up you know, that we sort of, um, we float away into our own households, you know, that we don't live in a, in a, many of us don't live in a more communal way, you know, and so that may be part of where that feeling comes from. And I, and I think that the same, you know, could be said for people who get married or sort of partner off, you know, and people who are single and you feel also that, you know, they're losing people in that way that they, you know, that the married people, the partnered people are kind of floating off on their ice flows as well. Yes, really turning toward another life that, that may not include you. And and you do, I mean, I really do seem to have a real understanding of the profound shift that does happen a lot of times in families <laughs> when children enter. Yes. Yeah. And, and I have, you know... Um, my friends have talked to me, you know, when they're pregnant and they have told me, you know, what profound things are happening for them in their bodies, you know, and, and what a profound experience it is. And I'm grateful to that they, that they, they've shared this with me. Um, and, you know, and I've had other friends talk about how profound it is, how, how changed they feel, you know, once, once they have children and, um, it, yeah, it, it just, it struck me that, um, anytime any of us go through something profound, we are changed. You know, there's a core of us, a, a core part of us that remains, but, um, it, you know, how, how could our relationships with other people not be affected? Yeah. By that? 
Right. Well, Noel tweets, demonization of the child-free, those who choose not to have kids, not childless, has lessened. But we still need to spread awareness and understanding. Being child-free can be harder for women due to societal pressure. And let me go to Anne in Mountain View. Hi, Anne. Hi, yes. Um, actually, that's a good segue. Um, I've never, ever wanted to have uh, children, um, and I didn't perceive as somebody selfish. I keep getting told, well, you're selfish oh. because you don't want to sacrifice so much. Um, and yet I vote for the welfare of children. I volunteer in a number of places. Um, I just don't perceive myself as being some materialistic, horribly selfish person. And I think that's not portrayed. And in that movie that you mentioned, uh, the, I think it was The Lost Daughter, um, I actually hated it And because it seemed to imply that if you don't have maternal feelings, then you've got to be some psychotic unfeeling mm. kind of weird person and that just got to me so i wondered if you could talk about that and also about the perception that people are selfish if you don't yeah. have children and thank you amina kane it's interesting to hear Anne use the word selfish because a couple of times in your piece you will say things like as selfish as this might sound or you don't want to be perceived as selfish um is that a word or feeling that you often feel comes up for you as well Right. Um, well, it's funny because no one has ever actually called me selfish, you know, for for not having children or for not having that desire. Um, but, you know, when I was writing that piece, probably I, I think I say that a couple of times, but there were other instances that I kind of edited out of the piece huh. where I was, you know, sort of calling my, myself selfish or self-centered or, uh, you know, kind of trying to imagine what the criticism of the piece might be, you know, that I'm, um, that I can't, I, that I'm not able to grow up or that I want to live in the past or something like that. And um, again, no one, no one has said that to me. So I don't know exactly where it comes from unless it is kind of just these larger messages, you know, that you do hear from society. We're talking with Amina Kane, and Amina wrote a recent op-ed for the LA Times titled, I'm Hungry for More Stories on the Ambivalence of Motherhood. And we're asking you, our listeners, if, if you've had an experience where you have wanted more depictions of this emotion, of this conflict, or if anything that Amina Kane is resonating with you, 866-733-6786 is the number, email address forum at kqed.org, or post your thoughts online. We'll have more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Amina Kane, a writer who you may know from the novel Indelicacy and her book A Horse at Night on Writing will be published in October. Amina Kane recently wrote an LA Times op-ed titled I'm Hungry for More Stories on the Ambivalence of Motherhood. And if this is a perspective that you'd like to talk about, 866-733-6786 is the number. You can also post your thoughts on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or email us. Rebecca tweets, 
There might not be that many stories yet about women not wanting to have children along the lines of the lost daughter, but there is a long tradition of stories about dead or absent mothers. Seems like there must be some synergy overlap of themes here. The LA Times op-ed by Amina Kane is so refreshingly honest. I mean, I did want to ask you about that second part of Anne's question where in this particular film, while it does explore um, the ambivalence of motherhood and the conflict that's so often not discussed, that she felt like in many ways, too, though, it, it made the protagonist or the main character of the film, you know, seem like there was something wrong with her as well or that she was forever scarred by by um, basically not being with her kids for a period of time. Yeah, um, it's it's interesting. I've I've talked to different friends about the movie, and um, some of them have not liked her character. have Have seen her as this kind of, um, you know, not bad person, but sort of neurotic, um, cold, uh, you know, and um, and and are kind of affected by the fact that she leaves her her daughters, you know, for a few years, um, but. Other people have uh, admired her, um, I think, because of how, you know, blunt her character is um, and because of the fact that uh, she, I think with some of the things she says, she, that she's just so honest, you know, like she, she um, cuts through something, um, cuts through this notion that, that all women want to be mothers. And so, you know, she's when you think about um, literature, you know, novels and also films, I mean, they're kind of filled with unlikable characters and there's this sort of long debate about whether a character should be likable and what to do with a character, you know, who's not. Um, I think she's very complicated. Yes. Well, let me go to caller Lily in San Francisco. Hi, Lily. Hi there. How are you guys? Thank you so much for talking about this um, on the air. So I just wanted to quickly share my story. I'm a 35-year-old woman, and I have chosen to not have children. I've actually gotten my tubes tied already. Um, And I I just feel like I'm very fortunate to have a group of friends and family in my life who, on a consistent basis, have conversations about this. Mm -hmm. And I found that the more and more that I talk about it, the less and less taboo it becomes. And being able to kind of build my own confidence in sharing my story allows me to continue doing that with people who may not have thought about that in the past. And um, yeah, I just feel, I feel very fortunate. And I also, you know, I was faced with some pretty impactful things that happened to me in my life that made me actually have to sit down and face the realities of what having children would really truly be like. And I just, I kind of decided, like, I think that's too much. I don't think I can handle it. And um, I also just personally feel that if I ever had the real strong need to fulfill the motherly instinct, that I can always adopt. And that option is there. And, um, yeah, I just, I really appreciate you guys having this conversation. I think the more and more we talk about it, the less and less taboo it becomes. And the more you realize that there actually are quite a few people out there who have made these decisions. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Lily. Appreciate you calling in to share uh, your experience. And and the point that she's making, Amina Kane, about the more you talk about it, of course, you have now put this out publicly in an op-ed. But before that, did you talk about the feelings that you experienced uh, when your friends 
were telling you that you had they were having children or had children and and kind of drifted apart on their ice flow in a way and turned toward that that life um no not really um and so i i think it's great that that lily has and um you know i don't know why i guess because um i i was worried about you know appearing self-centered um you know because i know that uh being pregnant, having children, it's, it's consuming, you know? And so I think a part of me always felt that I would be this kind of, you know, person in the background, like, what about me? What about me? Like, I want to talk about how I feel, you know, in this moment. And so, so I always kind of avoided it, but um, writing about it has allowed me to have some conversations with friends, you know, since, since publishing the piece. And to me, that feels like the best reason, you know, personally to have written it. Um, and I, you know, I think I was afraid to have a conversation that I needn't be afraid to have. Yeah. I, I am so curious about the reaction your piece has gotten then. Um, and if you've been surprised by some of the things that have emerged as a result of you opening this door. I have. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, with my friends um, who, who are women who have not had children, I've heard that I'm not alone, you know, and, and what I call in the piece, my unnatural feelings, that they've experienced some isolation too. Um, but I've also heard from friends, you know, who, who are mothers or parents that they too have felt isolated, you know, that, uh, you know, one acquaintance um, who has a lot of friends who've not had children said that she became lonely after becoming a mother because she never quite regained her friendships in the same way. And and she and her husband never really found um, their parent tribe. And uh, another um, spoke of how having a child can be as identity obliterating as it is fulfilling. Um, another spoke about the, just the feeling that children aren't welcome in all spaces and, you know, how isolating that can feel. Uh, and, and these are things that actually I, you know, because I, I wasn't having that, these conversations, you know, kind of, um, I didn't know. And, and one good friend said something I thought was that, that really moved me. She, um, she was a friend who had a child when she was in her twenties. And she said that when she's told people that she's had to try and figure out who she is again, now that her daughter is an adult, they often, um, people often don't understand what she means. Um, you know, perhaps saying motherhood is the defining part of who she is. And, and she says that, of course, it's a, it's a huge part of who she is. It is a defining part, but that she wants more for herself, you know, a sense of self, a person is as worthy um, without her amazing daughter is with her. Hmm. Let me go to caller Brandy in Oakland. Hi, Brandy. Hi, thanks for having me. Sure. I, uh, I am a mother. I have two children under 10. And I am so happy to hear this conversation about the ambivalence towards motherhood, because I, I think that that's not something that's talked about a lot among mothers and just this kind of mourning of the self that you had before you have children and how, you know, it's just supposed to be this wonderfully, you know, grand, joyous thing and you would never change it for the world. But I mean, just throughout the days and the weeks and the months, there are these points where you kind of are thinking, whoa, why did I do this? <laughs> you know, so it's not just always this, this 100% yes, I made the right decision and I would never change it. it it's just this kind of ebb and flow um, as as you go through it. Yeah. 
Brandy, such a great point. And it sounds like, um, Amina, in, in bringing this up, your friends who have had kids, that they found a real point of connection in this sense of ambivalence, this sense of isolation, and also just being part of this same system that puts these expectations or glorifies certain roles. Um, and yet at the same time, uh, still really limits what is allowable within them. <laughs> yes. Yes. What, you know, kind of, you know, maybe you only talk about this in your, you know, small circle of close friends where, you know, you're not going to be judged and just, you know, that we all just go through and pretend like it's great and just look at each other's, you know, Instagram and Facebook. And you think this other person is just like, you know, wow, they're such a wonderful mother when actually they're probably having these same kind of thoughts and going through these same patterns and doubts. Yeah. Well, Brandy, thanks so much for the call. Amina, curious for your reaction. Well, it, it strikes me that, you know, often when we do have conversations about what we're actually feeling, they're with people who feel similarly, you know, so you know, uh, mothers might share with each other just the, the difficulties of, of being a mother, of mothering, and people who don't have children might talk to each other, you know, about, the, you know, sort of their sense of isolation that they go through or kind of what they face within it. And so often I, I feel that the, the people who are actually having different experiences should be the ones talking or, or, you know, all the different conversations are important, obviously, but that, that often those kinds of conversations are the hardest to have, you know, someone who's, who's, who's not wanted children um, and, and someone who had, you know, like talking about their own sorts of isolation that they're feeling or, you know, so I guess I hope that more of those kinds of conversations will happen. Well, Amanda writes, I've been married for over 12 years and just turned 45. I'm child-free and happy, and I absolutely can relate to your speaker's sentiments. Historically, when I found out from friends that they are having kids, I'm happy for them if they're happy, but have an instant feeling of, I'm glad I'm not them. But I also wonder if the instant thought they have about me is a misunderstanding about my desire not to have kids. I like other people's children, but feel like we, child-free women, are all misunderstood as selfish. Additionally, when it comes to impact on the environment, I feel like the child-free are making the big biggest sacrifice. Additional people stressing the planet is the last thing Mother Earth needs. This listener writes, my daughter has shared that she does not want kids at all, and I am grappling with my own feelings around it. Surprisingly, I feel so sad, but for her, I see that it absolutely makes sense. I have other friends who I really could not imagine being parents, and they are not. We even went through college abortions together. I have friends who are mothers and shouldn't be. Many of us parent and create absence through being busy, work, travel, substance use, etc., and referring to the movie, how many men leave their children? Why are women always called out for self-preservation? It's interesting this listener raises that because that is touched on for sure during um, the film and then even in reviews of it, just the point that it is normalized, Amina, for men to spend periods of time away from kids and it's really very different standard for women. Right, right. It's um, women are judged much more harshly for it and you know, there are, you know, you think about like the phrase, the deadbeat dad or the absent father, you know, it, it's like, I think men are judged for it, but there's a way in which women who, who do it, um, th there's something that sort of is elevated about it, you know, like they either become sort of monstrous, you know, they're monsters for doing what they're doing, or they become sort of these, you know, anti-heroines, which um, there's, there's a piece that was published a couple of weeks ago in the New York Times that, 
I think talks about the, you know, the woman who abandons her children as the anti-heroine. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, we, we don't look at it in men in that way when they do the same. Sonia writes, I saw the film and didn't see it as anti-motherhood as much as a commentary about the breakdown of communal support. I had twins with colic, got no sleep for months, and so it wasn't bizarre that I sometimes wished they hadn't been born. They were an assault on the health in me, wanting to sleep, eat a meal, have adult communication, etc. Parenthood is an innately ambivalent experience. I love my kids infinitely, but I often wished I could send the kids to auntie's house a few doors away for a few moments of respite. And Natasha writes, I'd be interested to see this film from the perspective of a woman of color. And another listener writes, at 69 years old, I remain happily child-free by choice to the point that I had an abortion at 26 years old. Multiple requests to have my tubes tied in my early 20s were rebuffed with the assurance that I would change my mind. But no, even at this advanced age, I'm still horrified that anybody would want to bring even more children into this world when there are so many who need loving homes. And my 68-year-old sister feels the same way. And Jean writes, please talk about how lesbians aren't stigmatized the same way straight women are when choosing no children. Do you have any thoughts on this, Amina? I know that one thing that you have pointed out is just how heteronormative so many depictions of motherhood tend to be. Right, right. Um you know, in addition to um, this kind of default position sometimes of, you know, the mother or the the nuclear family, we're often also seeing a, a straight family, you know, the sort of heteronormative, you know, depiction, depiction of it. And, um, you know, I, I've been wondering, um, kind of if part of the reason why maybe, you know, straight women particularly might be seen as, as monstrous if they abandon their children is because um, of the way that maybe, quote, female or the idea of what female is has often been um, enmeshed with ideas of childbearing and child rearing. And so to kind of take them apart, you know, becomes monstrous. And, you know, maybe for, you know, for someone who's, who's lesbian, there's... Um, society is not kind of enmeshing, you know, in the same way, um, child with, you know, that woman. Let me go to caller Katie and Martinez. Hi, Katie. Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I just, I just wanted to comment that I knew from a very young age that I didn't want to have children. And it was only because I really loved children. And I felt like this world was just such a dark place. And that like a previous caller said that there's so many kids who are already here who need, who need love and help. Um, so I just, you know, and I tell people, honestly, I'm 58 years old now, my whole life, I've said, they ask if I have kids, and I say no. And then I quickly say by choice, because mm -hmm. I really want to open up that conversation. And I want women and young women and girls to know that you have a choice, and you don't just have to you know, do what everybody else does. And I love kids. I've worked in Montessori. I've been a teacher. You know, now I work at a place where I'm making the world better for all people and hopefully for children. But in, I have been called selfish and I have, I have a great joy around my decision and the way I've lived my life. But it's true. You do get called selfish and you're mm. always constantly sort of battling a stigma. Mm. Well, thanks, Katie, for sharing. And this listener writes on Instagram kind of the hope and optimism I think you feel and, and what you want to reinforce. I'm so happy women feel confident in their choice to remain childless. My husband and I have several <laughs> friends. I hope no one has given them grief over their responsible choice. 
And this listener writes on Instagram, I've been told being a good parent starts before a baby is conceived as a millennial. Economically and environmentally, having a kid right now seems too risky. Another listener writes, I'm 11 weeks pregnant and it's been horrible. I feel sick all the time. I'm second guessing motherhood. <laughs> so there's a lot that's coming out, um, Amina Kane. As you have realized your hunger, once you sensed the lack of of these stories and, and how much it meant to you to, to see a story depicted as in, as you did in The Lost Daughter. Are you feeling like you are finding more sources, more potential stories, and, and that that as people, especially millennials or, or others who are really focused on the effects of climate change and things like that, or, or seem to be having this conversation a little more openly, that things are changing? I, I think so. And, you know, I, I think um, The Lost Daughter, you know, the, the Claire Bay Watkins novel, I Love You But Have Chosen Darkness, you know, Sheila Hedy's Motherhood and other, you know, and other works are kind of pointing to the fact that this um, this is, you know, kind of arising, um, the, the, this, these kinds of conversations. And I think sometimes that it's harder for us to say things in our lives that um, can be expressed, you know, in a film or a novel. So I'm I'm hoping that these works are um, are kind of leading us in that direction. Do you do you feel like you've changed a little bit since you since you've written it, or your perspective on all of this has changed a bit? Yeah, I mean, it it has. I it's in a couple of ways. One, because I think that um, we kind of do ourselves a disservice when we don't say what we're thinking. You know, like that that we are a little disconnected from ourselves if we're not able to talk about talk about some, some deep feeling. Um, and also, you know, just in the conversations that I mentioned earlier that I've been able to have with um, mothers and non-mothers alike, both of those things have, have kind of subtly changed something for me. Well, really appreciate you coming on to talk about this, Amina Kane. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Amina's op-ed, op-ed again is I'm hungry for more stories on the ambivalence of motherhood. You can hear it. Uh, you can see it in the LA Times, you can read it in the LA Times, and now you can hear a little bit of The Lost Daughter's score, <laughs> The Lost Daughter, new film by Maggie Gyllenhaal. Thanks, listeners. Stay with us for another segment of Forum right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. 
Soul to Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Soul to Story are available now.